Would you take the Word of God with me this morning and turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts and uh, chapter 28. Acts uh, chapter 28. If you notice, we are now coming to the last chapter of this book and we've done our best to to study through the book and we uh, started a few years back and let me remind you uh, probably in the opening message on this book, uh, my heart's uh, intent was uh, asking the question, what has happened to churches? We look here at the 21st century and we, we look around us and we have to ask, what is the reference point for churches? And uh, part of the reference point we know is the New Testament, part of that is the book of Acts. Uh, namely, how the church in Jerusalem and then the churches, when they multiplied, uh, had one work at the forefront, and that is to preach the gospel to every creature. The command was given in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, repeated in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, and the book of Acts is really about how that is demonstrated in the first century. And so in a sense, we have to recapture the spirit of the book of Acts, not in the sense, as we understand Uh, that the church, this is um, the apostolic age in the sense that uh, Jesus Christ, when he said, I will build my church, uh, the book of Ephesians says that uh, the foundation of the church is the apostles and Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And Hebrews chapter 2 says that God uh, validated the apostles by signs and wonders that he gave unto them to prove that those first century believers and teachers and preachers and apostles were truly from God. The book of Acts, that's why, has uh, miracles, and we may call them sign miracles, to show us that uh, the gospel was indeed the message from God. Uh, Heaven's message for earth, for the redemption of man. And I want us to think about if the miracles, the signs in the book of Acts were there to validate the church and to prop up the message of the gospel, how much more important is the message of the gospel than those signs that were done? That's how important and valuable the message of the gospel is. And Paul saw the gospel as so valuable that he said in Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ For it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so we're in the 21st century and we want to simply continue what was started with Jesus Christ and His disciples. I hope that that is our heart. I pray for this church that we would continue following the Lord, what He started, that we would continue and be faithful to that. The majority of the book of Acts is taken up. If you would divide really the book into two parts, you can think of the first part of the book of Acts as really describing the ministry of Peter in Jerusalem and how the gospel went from Samaria, Judea, and then the uttermost part of the earth. The second half is really primarily a focus on the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And as we focus it on the Apostle Paul, we see that his ministry, and I want to say ministry did not cease, but his ministry in freedom. When he was free to move and to go where he wanted under the direction of the Holy Spirit. But now in those last few chapters, Paul is a prisoner. He is bound. He uh, had several trials in Jerusalem. He was there for two years. Uh, 
uh, kind of ignored because of the political environment at that time. And he appeals to Caesar because he sees that he is not gaining any headway. And as a Roman citizen, he appeals unto Caesar. And in Acts chapter 27, he takes this journey. We have the shipwreck. And as we looked at the details of that, we know that um, God did a marvelous work. And Paul made a great difference there aboard that ship. And had Paul not been there as a representative of the Lord in that capacity, uh, we know that the outcome would have been different. There was such a respect for Paul as a prisoner that the custom at that time, if there was any sense that the prisoners might get away, the Romans would kill the prisoners because if they were unable to bring the prisoners to their destination, then the soldiers themselves would lose their own lives. Uh, That was what was required by those who engaged or who were enlisted in uh, the army of Rome. And we know they spared the life of the prisoners. And so there's 276 people aboard that ship that come to the island of Melita. Uh, That is Malta today, the country of Malta. Just a tiny little country located between uh, Italy and uh, northern Africa. And it's interesting that on the northern part, if you look at a map of Malta, on the northern part there is what is referred to as St. Paul's Bay. And uh, I looked it up last night, and it says that uh, they believe that this is the place, according to the Bible, that Paul landed on his shipwreck. And so here we are on this island of Melita. And so we're going to begin reading. We're going to read the first ten verses as we continue looking at the details of Paul's life. So let's stand together. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word for just a few moments. Acts 28, verse 1. And the Word of God says, And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. That means they were very kind to them. (laughs) It's a negative way of putting it, but they were kind. For they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, but after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. In the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered it and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they ladded us with such things as were necessary. And after three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandria." Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. 
Lord, would you use again your word to stir our hearts concerning your great work that we are to engage in. To understand the importance also as we observe the life of the Apostle Paul of our personal testimony, our conduct, and how you order our lives and our steps. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, by faith to see your hand in our own lives as we see it here in the life of the Apostle Paul. Uh, help us, instruct us by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. One of the first questions that we ask when we read the Bible and we study the Bible is, why is this here? Um, as we look through the book of Acts, it's mainly a record of uh, the ministry of church planning, the churches multiplying, um, the work being fulfilled that Jesus Christ commanded to his disciples to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. And I really have enjoyed the last part of the book of Acts because we don't see in the sense that ministry of church planting and evangelizing as much as we see Paul acting in his capacity as a prisoner and the impact of our personal conduct in the lives of others and how that has an impact. And the reason why I emphasize that is because we might not see ourselves as say, well, I'm not the Apostle Paul. I'm not called to preach. I'm not a missionary. I'm not a church planter. I don't work in the sense in full-time ministry. And what we learn here is that we don't have to act in a capacity of full-time ministry to make a difference in people's lives. That wherever we are, wherever God brings us, whatever circumstances bring about in our lives, that we can make a difference for the Lord. In Acts chapter 28, we see Eurycliden, this tempest that comes as they're sailing, and we remember that Paul had warned them not to go and sail during that time of year. It was not commodious to go out in the sea. And basically, everything that Paul warned them about happened. Uh, but Paul uh, is able to, to keep them together to, we see, give them meat before they jump ship. And they, the, the uh, ship uh, comes to shipwreck at the coast of uh, Melita. And now there's 276 people. Remember that Paul had promised that God had told him that night, that none of them would lose their lives, that everybody would be spared. Some people did, didn't even know how to swim because they were instructed to make sure when they got out of the ship to hold on to something until they were brought to uh, the coast. And so uh, God preserved the life of 276 people. They come to this island, and I want us to, before we begin study, to know this is not coincidence. Uh, the storm was there and, and no doubt we think about the storms and them arriving to Melita. But as we read the passage, it, it seems clear that Paul is going to have an impact as a prisoner, not only aboard that ship in the tempest, but now he's going to make a difference in this island. And we might think of it, now this is unexpected, he's here unexpected. You know, we often have things in our lives that, are, that happen that are unexpected. That, and when I mean unexpected, I'm saying we didn't want this to happen. We didn't, or either we didn't plan on this happening, or this has happened to us and it's by surprise. What do we do in those moments? How do we respond? And if we're not careful, we might come and have the mentality of, well, let's just get through this to the other side of a trial, a, a difficulty, a shipwreck, a being stuck on an island. And instead, I think we ought to think about how can I have an impact 
that whatever life circumstances have brought in my life, how can I make a difference? And here's the wonderful thing. The Bible says that rain falls on the just and on the unjust. Every man that is uh, born of a woman is going to have trouble in this life. But the Christian possesses something that the unbeliever does not possess. And so what are we going to do with what we possess? I would like to preach a message that I've entitled this morning, Looking Beyond Tragedy. Looking Beyond Tragedy. Uh, Let me remind you as we read our text here in Acts chapter 28, what has happened and what happens on this island. They come to the island and they've been battling the storm for 14 days. They hadn't eaten anything for 14 days. Right before they jumped ship, they ate something. They were cold, wet, no doubt exhausted, battling the storm. Remember, they had uh, thrown everything overboard. Whatever they brought with them was gone. It's just them and nothing. The there's a shipwreck. We read here uh, that uh, uh, the viper is going to jump out there and, and bite uh, Paul on the hand. And we look and we say, well, everything is, is going wrong. But we have to look beyond the tragedy. Beyond the shipwreck. Beyond the loss of cargo. By faith, we have to look beyond the earthly. Now the reason why we look on the earthly is because that's what we're familiar with. That's why we, what we see first. And as believers, we really have to work hard to look beyond those things. And the Bible tells us the just shall live by faith. We must live by faith and learn to live by faith. I'm reminded of what um, Paul said as he wrote to Timothy. While he was bound, he said this to Timothy in first, uh, 2 Timothy 2.9. He said... Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. That was Paul's mindset. He says, I'm I'm going through suffering trouble, right? Shipwreck, stuck on an island, nothing. I'm suffering because people have accused me of being an evildoer, and now I am bound, but the word of God is not bound. In writing to the church at Philippi, he said this in Philippians 1.12, But I would that she should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out. We might think of fallen out as an accident, and he says, no, it was not an accident. Have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. So let's look beyond the tragedy. As we look at our text in Acts chapter 28 verse 1, we read that they escaped. Uh, They knew that they were on the island called uh, Melita. As I mentioned here, this is the island today called Malta. You can uh, research that island. And actually, uh, when I look at the maps in the book of Acts, often in reference to it, I look at that location. And one of the next things that comes to my mind is, is there a missionary there today? I found one missionary that was there in Malta. But Malta is two islands, one to the north, and there's no missionary in an island to the north. And then I always uh, ask the Lord, I said, Lord, do you want me to go there? People need the gospel. Now, I'm, I'm not going to Malta, I'm just saying. But that's my uh, hard process. That little island, 
I wonder if they have a gospel witness today. They did then. When Paul lands on the island of Melita, again located between, if you look at a map when they sailed out of Jerusalem, uh, they would be on their way to Rome and that little island is between the southern part of Italy and uh, North Africa. It's really in the middle between uh, those two. Uh, and in the northern part, it seemed that they had landed in the northern part of the island. And today there is actually a town on that northern part that's called St. Paul's Bay. And uh, they attached the tradition of the name to what happened on that day. Uh, but verse 2 he says, And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us every one. When they says every one, that's 276 people aboard that ship. That's how many people were aboard that ship. And um, we read here, and so now I, I do want to show here that the term barbarous, when it says barbarians, uh, this was not uh, a term that was used when re referring to people who were savage or who maybe uh, didn't live in uh, houses or anything like that or that they were barbarians in the sense that we understand it today. Uh, the term in the Bible uh, for barbarians really refers to people, a group of people who did not speak Greek. That, that's all that was. You remember when Paul in Romans 1.14, he said, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. And what he, that means is, I'm a debtor to those who speak Greek and to those who do not speak Greek. Uh, the known world of that time around the Mediterranean uh, mostly speak, spoke Greek, the Greek language. It was dominated by Rome, but the language was Greek. And so those who did not speak Greek, they come to this island, evidently it's a remote place, and the people there do not uh, speak Greek. Uh, even 1 Corinthians 14.11 says, Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. And what that means is, I'm not going to understand anything he says. And so the barbarian don't think these are savage people. No, they're not savage people. They just don't speak Greek. That's what that means. We read of uh, these people and their kindness. They, they uh, put a fire together, and obviously they were cold and, and wet. Uh, they received all 276 of them, and because of the present rain and because of the cold. And so these people are kind people, so they're not, in the sense, barbarians. They're very kind. They're very courteous. Uh, they received those people. They evidently had uh, seen the shipwreck, and they're, they're gladly taking those people in. Now, we know here that there is no indication that these people are Christians or are religious. Evidently, we know from the passage that they're a pagan people. If we're not careful. Sometimes we, labor, uh, we label anybody that's not a Christian as they can't be courteous and they can't be kind. It's just not true. Uh, these people are, are very kind, the very courteous uh, but they, there is something missing in their lives. Verse 3 tells us, And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat. And I know this is, these are small details, but I'm here really compelled. I think it's noteworthy to see that Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, at that time a prisoner, takes it upon himself to gather sticks for the fire. I know it may seem... Uh, uh, no big deal, but I, I think here to think about the Apostle Paul and his capacity knowing the injuries that he suffered in his life, knowing how weak he was, the infirmity of the flesh that he had, that he takes it upon himself. He's really grateful. He doesn't sit back and let people serve him. This man who's been battered by life gets up and goes gather sticks. I'm reminded of uh, a story about D.L. Moody 
one rainy day, a man accompanied by two women arrived at Northfield hoping to enroll his daughter in D.L. Moody's school for young women. The three needed help in getting their luggage from the railway depot to the hotel, so the visitor uh, drafted a rather common-looking man with a horse and a wagon, uh, assuming that he was a local cabbie. The cabbie said that he was waiting for students, uh, but the visitor ordered him to take them to the hotel, and the visitor was shocked when the cabbie did not charge him anything. And he was even more shocked to discover that the cabbie was actually D.L. Moody himself. He wasn't too big for the job. And here the spirit of the apostle Paul is, although no doubt the New Testament is mainly uh, penned by his hand under the inspiration of the spirit of God, and he preached many wonderful, powerful messages as we've seen in the book of Acts. And here you find him doing something as simple as gathering sticks. Notice he doesn't say, hey Luke, go gather up sticks. Luke is with him. Those who are accompanied, no. Paul himself gets up. There is no task that we do for the Lord that is unimportant. That's the mindset and the heart of the Apostle Paul. He gathers the sticks as we see. um, And the Bible says he laid them on the fire. Verse 3, there came a viper out of the heat and fasted on his hand. And uh, I I believe, and I know it's it's common knowledge that some people believe that Paul's thorn in the flesh was bad eyesight. And this would probably reveal that he had indeed a bad eyesight. How could you pick up a, a bunch of sticks and not see that there's a snake in there? But he, he has the sticks. He throws them in the fire and the snake trying to get away from the fire and the bundle of sticks jumps out and bites his hand and is holding on to his hand. Uh, notice the Bible says at the end of verse 3, there came a viper out of the heat. And so obviously trying to get away from the fire grabs on to his hand. Notice what happens in verse 4. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, no doubt this man is a murderer. I love the the certainty with which they speak. Absolutely no doubt this man is a murderer. Do we ever deal that way? When we interpret things or situations or make a judgment on the situation... Oh, this is what happened. And we really don't know. Got to be careful when we talk like that. But here, they look and analyze the situation. No doubt this man is a murderer whom, though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. Now, evidently here, these people were pagan. In the sense that they didn't believe in the one true and living God. As was common in those days in uh, many areas and municipalities. Paul had, remember when he was in Lystra and Derby, uh, when they had done the miracles, the people were quick to say, hey, you're gods, and they were going to offer sacrifice unto uh, Paul and Barnabas, and, and they stopped them. And so this was common during those days, but they were a, a superstitious people. Uh, when tragedy comes into someone's life, they believed that it was because they had done something wrong. Paul must have done something wrong. By the way, right, he was a prisoner at the time, so they probably thought to themselves, well, the reason why he's a prisoner from the Romans is because he's done some really bad crime. And so in a sense, a person is paying, they're saying here, for the crime that he has committed. Uh, The end of verse 4 says, Yet vengeance suffereth not to live. What that means is he is getting justice. He is getting what he deserves for whatever crime he committed, maybe probably uh, the crime of murder. 
It's interesting what they say, though, about the sea. They say, though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. Now, notice the word escape in verse 4 is the same word that's used in verse 1. Notice verse 1. He had said, and when they were escaped. We have the mindset of Acts chapter 27, and we read the word escaped, and what we think of is that God had providentially preserved their lives through the storm. That's what we think of when we think of that word escaped in verse 1. But that's not how they use the word escaped in verse 4. How they think is, well, the gods are trying to get him in the sea and he escaped. And now the serpent is there to bite him just because he escaped the sea. He should have died at sea, but he narrowly escaped. And so, therefore... Paul had nearly escaped the justice that was coming to him, and there it comes now. It's interesting that they see, we see those two words, but used very differently. One is, God has providentially brought them through the storm. The other one is, he has experienced the judgment of God. It is interesting that those two groups of people can look at the same event and come to different conclusions. Now, by faith... Because we know of God's intervention, we see God's hand in what happened in the shipwreck. But others who are onlookers see it as quite different. But by faith, the Christian is to see same events, but come to a different conclusion about those events. So they believed here that Paul was being judged for some crime like murder. They assumed since Paul was a prisoner of Rome that he had committed some serious crime. And notice what happens in verse 5. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Now I want to pause here because this is the only instance that we find in the book of Acts of a snake biting an apostle. And I'm immediately drawn back to Mark chapter 16. If you turn there with me to Mark chapter 16... I want to bring your attention to what the Bible says. Mark chapter 16. Notice here at the end of the chapter, Mark chapter 16. Notice verse 15. Let's begin reading in verse 15. Mark 16, 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth, and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Now I want to bring your attention here. If they uh, take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. As far as we know, there are no other references in the book of Acts of a snake biting a servant of God who is actively engaged in the work of the Lord. And so this event in Acts chapter 28 is a fulfillment of the promise that God made concerning those who would serve Him. That signs and wonders would accompany those who are preaching the gospel. And those signs were there to validate that the message that they preach is indeed the truth from God. 
I do want to make a remark here because uh, I went to Bible college in Tennessee, and there were some churches, Baptist churches known in Tennessee, for being snake handlers. You could look it up. Some churches, they, they actually, the preacher gets up, and then they take up a snake, and they're trying to challenge the snake. And uh, basically, if the preacher gets bit and he dies, then he didn't have enough faith. But what happens to most of those preachers who get bit, who end up hospitalized, who survive, they say, oh, see, I had faith. And the truth is, the Bible says, no harm. When Paul was bit, he didn't fall sick and recover. There was no harm. There's a difference there. See, it's interesting that those who try to somehow reduplicate the signs and the wonders of the book of Acts, they're really not reduplicating them at all. At all. You know, it's, uh, uh, you think about uh, right, Peter's mother being raised from the dead. You think about those great miracles uh, of the lame who's been lame from his mother's womb walking. You think about the grandeur of the miracles. And now you read about the miracles taken in churches. And you have uh, some man come and says, my big toe hurts. And then he says, oh, they do something fancy. And they say, oh, my big toe doesn't hurt anymore. And that's just not comparable to what we find in the book of Acts. So that, that was just adding to the message. just want to make that remark. But Acts 28 is the fulfillment of what God promised would happen to those who preach the gospel. He shook off the beast into the fire, and the Bible says in Acts 28 verse 5, felt no harm. It did not affect him whatsoever. We return back to, if you hold your place here to Mark 16, we're going to go back and revisit that. But if you go back to Acts 28, verse 6, says, Howbeit they looked when, they, uh, when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, but after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. <laughs> so, notice, their first judgment, he's a murderer, he's getting justice. That was wrong. Now on the other side, no harm. He's a God. They're also wrong. They're wrong in both cases. Now the same event, right, come to completely opposite conclusion. They're wrong in both cases. Uh, They judge Paul wrongly of murder. They also judge Paul wrongly as a God. And uh, we remember what happened in Lystra in Acts chapter 14 when they did the miracles there. They had the temple and they were going to offer a sacrifice unto Paul and Barnabas as gods. And they rushed in there. Paul rushed in there and says, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. We are no gods at all. And they did everything they could to stop sacrifices being offered in their honor. They were not gods. They, at in no point in the ministry of the Apostle Paul did they ever take the glory or the recognition or ascribe any praise to them for any signs or miracles that were done. When people says, uh, you've done those things, we want to see them again. You know what they would always do? They would preach the gospel. Why? Because it's not about the miracles. It's not about the signs. It's not about the wonders. It's about the preaching of the gospel. Verse 6. Paul, uh, after he throws the snake in the fire, they see him as a god. They, their minds are changed. But notice, they change their mind, but they're still wrong. They're still wrong. Verse 7, in the same quarter were possessions of the chief man of the island whose name was Publius who received us and lodged us three days 
courteously. We read there from verse 7 down to verse 10. We see here that um, his father became ill. Uh, Paul healed his father. And then everybody from the island who was sick uh, comes to Paul. Uh, he heals them uh, from their diseases. And they receive honor, many honors. And they basically pack them up with anything that they need on their journey as they continue to roam. And as we look at the sexual well. Uh, we don't see anywhere where it is mentioned that Paul preached the gospel. And at that point, we might say, well, why would it not mention this? There's no mention in the text of Paul preaching the gospel in Melita. Now, I would say that just the fact that there is the, the part of the island is named after him is proof enough of his impact there in Melita, now Malta. But I think it doesn't have to be mentioned to know that he actually preached the gospel there. Here's the reason why I say that. Because in, back in Mark chapter 16, notice the language in which he uses as he talks about the signs and the wonders. He says in verse 17 of Mark 16, And these signs, notice, shall follow them that believe in my name, shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them, they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken, on, uh, spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth, notice, and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Notice the word, confirming the word with signs following. The signs... The signs were not done, performed by the will of the apostles. The apostles did not walk into a place and say, you know what, I want to do a miracle right now. I'm going to do it. As a matter of fact, we see that Paul went into his house. The Bible says he prayed. He probably was thinking, asking God, is this your will for me to do this? Now, the reason why I say that is turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, indicates to us very clearly that the, the, the signs and the miracles were not done by the will of the apostles. Hebrews chapter 2. Notice, let's begin reading in verse 1. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? The Lord, the disciples or apostles, them that heard it from Jesus Christ, notice verse 4, God also bearing them witness. Who bore witness? God bore them, the apostles' witness, notice, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, notice, according to His own will. So here's what we learn. Wherever the apostles went, it was not that they entered into a city and a house and said, well, I'm willing to heal this person now and I've made a decision to take it upon myself to heal this person. No, God says you preach the gospel everywhere. And when you preach the gospel, I'm going to validate your message and confirm your message with signs following. God only performed sign miracles to uphold the gospel. That was the only reason why there were signs and wonders. 
And it was not done by the will of the apostles. It was done by the will of God. The apostles did not from their own selves, by their own will, their own decision, their own discernment, their own wisdom, do miracles and signs. It was what God did to prop up the gospel. So with that in mind, do we think that God would give signs to Paul on the island of Melita, uh, Melita with no preaching of the gospel? I highly doubt it. Because the emphasis of the book of Acts is not on signs and miracles. It's on the preaching of the gospel. So what happened to all these people who were healed? I'll tell you what happened to them. They heard the gospel. doesn't say whether they're saved or they received it, but they heard the gospel. You can take it to the bank. There you go. I didn't know what, how else to, to put it. But if we go back to the book of Acts, so we, we see here that the signs are following the preaching of the gospel. So is this just a coincidence? I think not. We have no record of Paul ever going to the island of Melita. Could we say that God allowed the storm to come just to bring them to an island that he would have never gone on his own? But God has something for him to do there as a prisoner. You see, he had to take his eyes off of the circumstances. Shipwreck! Our Food is gone. Whatever we have in the cargo, everything is gone. We have nothing. But God has brought us to this place. What do we do now? What do we do now? Do we by faith advance? Uh, we have to look in the sense here with Paul. We, we have to look beyond the tragedy. We have to look at the things that happened to Paul. As he said, they have worked out for the furtherance of the gospel. Though I may be bound... <laughs> Here's a wonderful example how although Paul was bound as a prisoner, the word of God was not bound. And so God says, ah, well, you can't go out and have the freedom for you to go wherever you want to preach the gospel, but I will bring the people to you. Not in this sense. Not in the sense that he was stuck in Rome and God brought people around the world to Paul in Rome, but in this sense that God allowed a shipwreck to take place to bring those people to Paul. Paul was making the journey but God brought the people to Paul. He had to look beyond the tragedy of those immediate circumstances. Shipwreck, serpent biting, you think, well, everything is going wrong for Paul. Have you ever felt that way about your life? There's seasons where everything is going wrong. Let me encourage you to look beyond. Look beyond the tragedy. To what God wants you to do in that moment. The Bible says, by the way, back in Mark 16, Mark 16, 20 is really a summary verse of the book of Acts. Mark 16, 20 says, And they went forth and preached the gospel everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. That's exactly the experience of uh, Melita. They went forth. Uh, you could say not by their own choice. They didn't want the storm, but they went forth. They preached there. The Lord worked with them. There's miracles and signs. And the Lord confirmed the word with signs following. You see, the signs and the wonders were, are always subservient to the preaching of the gospel. Uh, we have enough 
of a pattern in the book of Acts to know that preaching Jesus Christ was at the forefront of the Apostles Paul's ministry. That's what he focused on. Many of his, of his epistles communicate that very clearly. Accident, tragedy, circumstances bring him here. Yes, all those things. But what does he do now? You see, where, where we make the greatest difference, where we make the greatest difference, is not when all is well. But it's when all is not well. How is a world, an unregenerate world, going to judge your character and your faith in God? Are they going to judge that by... Right, we see in Malia, the barbarians there, not barbarians, but those kind people, I'll call them that, the kind people on the island, they judge Paul all wrong. He's a murderer. He's a god. They're wrong in both cases. But there's no doubt that when Paul, whenever Paul left the island, they gave the man great honor because of how he dealt being misjudged in those circumstances and how he responded. Happenstance? No. As Christians... We ought to learn to live by faith. We must take our eyes off of our circumstances, off the tragedies of the moment, off of the unpleasantness in our lives, and turn those things for good. Doesn't Romans 8 tell us this? And we know, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You see, when tragedy hits our lives, the perspective of the Christian is like, well, just hang on till you get to the other side. We miss what God has for us in that moment. We're not just holding on to the other side. We're going with God to the other side. Right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pasture. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You see, in the valley of the shadow of death, in the tragedies and the difficult circumstances, God is there with us. The perspective of the Christian is like, well... I hope I can see God on the other side. No, He's right there with you. If you take Him at His word and claim His promises.